Thank you so much for worship. I, when the presence of God is there like that, I want to just sit and marinate in that. My name is Justin. You got it up there. Um, I have been married for 17 years have to a beautiful wife. She's not here this morning right now. I have four amazing kids, ages 8 to 14. And what I wanted to share with you today is hopefully a little bit of the excitement that I have for ministry to those who are in poverty, who are hurting, who are lost, and who are in pain. For me, this journey starts um, about 15 years ago when I was in college finishing up my degree, and the Lord really impressed upon me a verse in the Bible. It's Isaiah 58. And I'm going to read just a portion of this to you. This is where um, the Israelites are struggling with why is God not answering them? Why is he not there for them? And, and this is what Isaiah comes out and says. He says, is this, not, or is this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every chain. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. See, the Israelites had been fasting and, and using ashes and sackcloth. And what God was trying to get at there was it's not that outward thing. It's actually what's in your heart and, and, and the love that flows out of that. I started in ministry in Sacramento about 13 years ago now. And after this verse, it really kind of drew me there. And I wanted to tell you about somebody that I met there. Her name was Donna, is Donna still. Um, and she often went by barefoot Donna. So she never wore shoes anywhere that she went. She lived outside. She was what we would call chronically homeless. She had lots of obstacles in her life. And she would sleep by the river, wherever she could find a safe place to sleep. But she never wore any shoes. So we were always trying to get her to wear shoes. Like, this is not a good idea. You know, 110 degrees out, no shoes. Raining, freezing cold, no shoes. Like, we want to help you here. So she would come to the ministry down there that I, that I was serving in called Loaves and Fishes. And we would try to get her shoes. And one day, we finally got her this pair of Ugg boots that had been donated. They were nice. They fit perfect. They were comfortable. She was happy with them. Like, yes, this is great. And she left for the day to go sleep wherever she was going to sleep for the day. For the night. And next day she comes back. 
no shoes. I'm like, Donna, what happened to your shoes? Where did they go? And she told us that she was walking along the path and she came upon another person who was homeless and their shoes were in terrible shape. So she decided they needed the shoes more than she did. And she gave them her shoes. And she came back to the mission, to the loaves and fishes and with no shoes. Donna helped to transform my thinking about who I was serving and who I was ministering to. Because she was able to show extreme generosity when she had absolutely nothing. She had a sleeping bag maybe, sometimes a tent. Most of the time, no shoes. Donna also taught me about having joy in the midst of chaos, hardships, and really being in awful situations. Because every time Donna came and everybody that she saw, she would always greet with a huge smile, lacking a lot of teeth, but she was genuinely happy to see and to talk to and encourage whoever she was meeting with. And she would often bring flowers or some kind of gift to help them out. So Donna also taught me about having joy in adverse and hard situations. And what this did is it transformed my thinking. Because when I started, there was a part of me that went into ministry with, I have something and in some way there's something that I need to impart upon these people. And what I learned was many of these people had amazing hearts that were full of generosity and love, and kindness, and many of them love Jesus with all their hearts. So that was the beginning of me and my heart being transformed at who it was that I was working with and trying to help. The other thing that I learned from Donna is the power of community. So Donna had been on the streets for many years, and we worked with her and worked with her and worked with her to try her, to get her to come into the shelter and get off the streets. And it took many years of trying before we were able to earn her trust and we were able to build a relationship with her that she would be willing to step in to the shelter. And I remember the day that she said that, yes, I will give it a shot. I will come into the shelter and I'll sleep at night. And that's the day where... I didn't have to think about when I went home at the end of the day, where Donna was going to be sleeping, what the weather was going to be like for her, who was going to be around when she was sleeping at night, and if she would come back the next day. That taught me the power of community and being able to be with people and make connection and personal relationships with people. Here in Reading, at, um, we see at the mission about 2,000 unique individuals each year that come through. In contrast, if you look at the number of people sleeping on the streets in Shasta County, it is around 300 or so that sleep on, on the streets each night. So if the mission weren't here, 
There would be 2,000 people who would be on the street sleeping, who would not have access to a safe place to sleep, showers, clean restrooms, three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They would not have access to laundry services to get their clothing washed. They would not have a community of people that want to come around them and support them with healthy habits. Nationally, the statistics tell us that 70% of people who are experiencing homelessness have mental illness. And that 70% of people also have a drug and alcohol addiction. When, or what we see at the mission, on average, when someone comes into our program, not everybody, but a lot of the people that come in, they started using drugs and alcohol before the age of 10. And whether that's because they had family or friends that forced it upon them, or because they were trying to escape the situation and numb themselves from whatever it was that's going on in their household, many, many of the people we see start at the age of 10 or younger. And many are born with drugs or alcohol in the, or drugs in their system. Now what happens when you start to use drugs and alcohol at a young age like that is called arrested development. At that point, so say you're 10 years old and you begin to use drugs, your emotional development stops. And if you continue to use throughout your life, that's where your emotional development and your ability to make decisions stops right there. So we often see, we'll see people on the streets, we'll see people in camps, we will see sometimes in the gutter people in, in, and my mindset automatically goes to a place of like, okay, come on, like make some better decisions in life. But if I were to see a 10-year-old child in the street corner in a gutter with a heroin needle in their arm, I think you're like me, I would go over and I would scoop that child up and I would take them home. And I would tell them, you're more valuable than this. This is not a life that you have to be in. Let's help you overcome this. Let's, let's treat you like a valuable person, like a son or daughter of God. So when we see the people, person on the street, my challenge to myself is always, how do I learn more about their story? How do I learn more about their particular situation? Because I don't know where they're coming from. I don't know what has happened in their past, and I don't know the struggles that they have gone through. Now, I also struggle with this because when I, when I think about that, I think, my, my goodness, I should, be, I should be bringing people into my home, right? And we, we, we read Matthew 25. Whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. And when you, you clothe the naked and you brought in 
the homeless. You gave them shelter. And so there's a, there's a part of me that is convicted, but I am not here to, to give you a guilt trip. What I'm here to do is to show you what God has revealed to me in that struggle. And he took me to the story of the Good Samaritan. So in Luke 10, I'm sure most everybody's familiar with the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan's walking along the path, and he sees the injured man on the side of the road. And what happens to his heart? His heart is filled with compassion for this person who is injured and dying. And that's the exact same thing that often happened to Jesus when he was walking. When he was walking among people, his heart would be moved with compassion. And then he would act out of that compassion, healing, forgiving sins, whatever it was that he was going to do in that situation. And so when we look at the Good Samaritan, that same thing happened. His first and foremost, his response, he allowed himself to, have a, to look at the person and to have a response of compassion. And so that's what I, I challenge myself with all the time. No matter what's going on, how do I respond first and foremost with a heart of compassion and then act appropriately out of that? Now, the Good Samaritan was traveling. So he did not take the, the injured man on the side of the road and bring him to his home. He actually took the injured man. He, he tended to his wounds. He personally responded. And then he put him on his donkey and he took him to the inn. And there he cared for him some more. And then he paid the innkeeper to take care of him while he went off on whatever business and travel he had to do. And what this has done for me personally is told me that, okay, I don't have to bring somebody off the streets into my home to help them. In fact, I would argue he's probably not the best thing. I have four children in my home, and I don't know that person's story or what's going on with them. But I can choose to act out of the compassion in my heart and respond appropriately. And I believe that responding appropriately is understanding what services are available in our community and knowing how to connect those people with the things that they need. So we're responding personally and then we're acting out of that compassion in our heart. So what I wanted to do is share a few things that the mission does so that you have an understanding of how you can act out the compassion in your heart in the most appropriate way. Sometimes it might be, yes, you need to bring someone into your home. Sometimes it, it, it might be, I need to call 911 and I need to get an ambulance here. You know, sometimes it might be, maybe I just need to sit down with this person and just listen to them and hear their story. At the Good News Rescue Mission, we are the only homeless shelter in all of Shasta County. And we provide shelter for men and women and families as well, if they need a place. We provide three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Anybody is welcome. And all of these services are free. It doesn't cost anything for anybody to come for these services. We have showers, restrooms, access to toiletries, hygiene items, 
laundry services for people. We have a caring community of staff and volunteers who will come alongside people and listen to them. We'll get to know their story. We'll help them set out a path for where they need to go in the future and how they can best overcome whatever the obstacles are in their lives. For those who have a drug and alcohol addiction, we have an 18-month-long live-in drug and alcohol recovery program. So they live there. We have a men's facility and a women's facility. The women's facility has the ability for children to be with them. And it is amazing to see what happens when you have a mom with children. And the children have never seen their mom sober before. And she comes into program and the children either start off with them or come a little bit later. And they begin to see this transformation in their mother. And they begin to see who she is and who God created her to be and not the drugs or alcohol that she was on. And the healing that comes with that for the mom and for the family is amazing. When people are ready, either in our emergency shelter or in a recovery program, we have them go to our academic center. And the academic center is what really focuses on getting people First, a vision for the future and what the future can be. So its emphasis is on what is a career that you can get excited about? What is a career that you can go forward in? You can wake up each day and like, I love to do this. I want to do this for the rest of my life and help them acquire that vision. And then also give them the skills to get a job in the meantime, because that vision often is big. And so we want to help them to get a job. Maybe it's at McDonald's or Taco Bell. Something so that they can begin to support themselves as they work into what is, it is that their career is looking for. And in the academic center, we're working with people on job search, how to create a resume, how to do a job interview, um, how to use a mouse basic computer skills, some people working on GED completion, um, everything that they're going to need to get a job to be able to sustain themselves in life. And I wanted to read real quick, I was thinking through um, the number of people that have gone through the mission and have been impacted by those who are there. It has to be um, tens of thousands of people. The mission was started in 1964. And I'm just going to read a list here. These are just some of the occupations that I could come up with off the top of my head of people that I can think of and what they're doing who went in through the mission. And it's an amazing list. So we have nurse, waitress, firefighter, chef, realtor, truck driver, computer programmer, educator, social worker, probation officer, landscaper, grocery clerk, counselor, podcaster, facilities maintenance, auto retail, heavy equipment operator, and the list goes on and on and on. And wrapped in all of this, right, this is, this is the Matthew 25, whatever you did when you fed somebody, you're feeding me. When you clothed somebody, you're clothing me. 
So wrapped in all of this, the actual, the works of mercy is the love of Jesus and the word of the gospel. And so through daily chapel services, Bible studies, mentoring, and one-on-one relationships with people, we're taking them and we're acting out the love of God, but we're sharing also the gospel and the word of Christ with them. So what I want to do now is show you a quick video. Uh, this video is with Sean Mellis. We have Sean here. We're going to do his testimony video, and then I'm going to invite Sean up, and we're going to do a little question and answer, ask some questions of him. And then I would like to sh- talk about some ways in which everybody can get involved personally. My doctor had given me six months to live. Literally was in his office when he gave me that news. My liver was failing. My liver enzymes were at 11,412, and they're supposed to be at 400. He's like, you have six months to live if that, if you continue drinking the way you are. I'm like, cool, can I use your restroom? I went to the bathroom and drank vodka. That's where I was at. Uh, Growing up, I grew up in McLeod, California. That's where I was born and raised. I had a loving family. Favorite memory, definitely my dog Boots. We loved him, he was our protector. When we used to get in trouble, my parents would uh, call out our names and we always knew we were in trouble. He would come running and come save me and my sister, which was pretty awesome. Uh, My dad came and picked us up from California. We were in Colorado with my aunt and uncle, which was my mom's sister, and we thought it was kind of unusual that my mom didn't come with him because it's my mom's sister. And he said, when we get home, we're gonna have a talk. And when we got home that night, my mom wasn't home. And we were like, where's mom? And my dad was talking to us and he goes, well, your mom and I are no longer together. And my sister and I were like, what do you mean you're not together? Like, that doesn't make any sense to us. Like, you're your mom and dad. And he said that we got a divorce. Your mom doesn't live here anymore. We, we had no idea there was any trouble in paradise. My parents always were loving and kind towards us. Uh, never saw any problems, never fought in front of us. So we had no idea that it was coming. As a teenager, those those situations in my life, they, they affected me in a sense like I wanted to escape because I didn't know how to deal with them. And as a teenager, I escaped into books. Um, I loved adventure. Um, one of my favorite books was actually kind of a sad book. It was called Uncle Tom's Cabin. And that was probably like my, my favorite book of all time. I never partied in high school. I never had any interest in it. I always asked questions. I'm like, what's it like? And people are like, you have to experience it to understand what it's like. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm good. I don't want to do that. And then I moved to Arizona to go to college. The first week I was there, we went to a party and they were like, oh, here's a beer. I was like, oh, okay, I'll try it. I'm like, this is disgusting. You guys have anything else? And they bought me a bottle of Southern Comfort. And I was like, ooh, that's pretty tasty. And then from that point on, I started drinking pretty heavy and continue to drink for the next 26 years. How I Met My Ex-Wife was kind of a really fun story. We actually both worked at Red Robin. My now ex-wife, but at the time my wife was a believer and she helped introduce me to the Lord as well as my friend Nathaniel Edwardson, who's the pastor at the Stirring. He, uh, they ran a thing called Celebration and they brought me to the Lord one day. They asked me to come in to come to this concert because they knew I loved music. And I was like, all right, I'll go to, go to this concert. And I watched this lady 
bawling her eyes out and she was uh, still, still praying to the Lord. And I was like, man, what's wrong with this lady? Like she's, she's crying, but she's still worshiping the Lord. There's a guy standing next to her, dancing up a storm, reaches over, lays his hand on her, starts praying with her. And there's still, the concert's still going on. And I'm like, man, these people have something I don't because this lady's upset. And this guy's praying over her and he's still dancing with her. And he's still having a good time while she's crying. And there's all these other people just worshiping the Lord. And I'm like, I'm missing something that all these people have. I got home that night with my ex-wife and she was talking to me. She's like, so what'd you think? I'm like, that was pretty amazing. It was really powerful. And she's like, do you, do you want to say the Lord's Prayer with me? And I'm like, I would love to. And like, I accepted Jesus that night. And from that point forward, we started going to church together. Eventually, after years of marriage, I was working really, really hard. I was working between 12 and 16 hours a day, taking care of our entire household. We were raising three girls. She decided to go a different route with us. And one day she came home and said, this just isn't working. And she decided to file for divorce and we separated our ways. That impacted me in a very negative manner. My drinking, began to escalate even worse, and I was drinking pretty heavy before that. Um, it began to affect my jobs, it began to affect my living situations, it, ban it began to affect every aspect of my life. Lost my job at Safeway in Anderson, and I had decided to literally just continuously drink for about a month straight. I don't remember between April and May of 2018. I was completely blacked out the entire time. And the last time I was arrested, officer found me walking down North Street in Anderson and I chugged a pint of vodka in front of him. He asked me to blow on the breathalyzer machine and my BAC was 0.383 in climbing. He told me he decided he wanted to take me to the hospital, but for some reason they decided to take me to jail instead. They released me for some unknown reason. They wanted me to go to the hospital, but I decided not to and I decided to try to walk home. I made it about eight miles home made it almost to Kent's Market out on Airport Road and I had I started to have a seizure and I started praying I was like God just let me make it home because I knew I had a bottle of vodka at home and I was starting to go through withdrawals even though I was super intoxicated I couldn't take any steps forward and then I hear a small still voice in my head say lay down and rest my son and I was like what I'm like no I can make it I can make it and then I heard again no I said lay down and rest my son I tried to take a step forward and then a hand on my left shoulder grabs me and physically slams me into the ground and puts me on the ground. I'm laying there and I look up and I'm facing into oncoming traffic and I'm like, I'm gonna get hit by a car. There's nobody around me, there's no cars, there's no people, there's no, no physical presence of anybody around me and something gently rolls me down the side of the road and down an embankment into a ditch. I wake up about three or four hours later with a bunch of rocks hitting me on the side of the face. And I'm like, ow, like who's hitting me? And it happened to be a gentleman driving by doing a fire break for PG&E with a riding lawnmower. And he stops and he finds me. He calls 911, then ambulance comes. They get me into the ambulance. They find out that I had a seizure. They get me to Mercy Hospital and I spend about five and a half days there. And that's when they told me, Mercy told me that they were gonna release me to go home not where I thought that I was going to be going home. They said, we're going to release you to the care of the Good News Rescue Mission. I don't even remember signing up for the program. I don't remember to this day. I have no idea. I finally, Andrew Jessen had an interview with me. He's like, are you still interested in even doing the program? I was like, uh, sure, I guess. I don't know. I didn't even know I was actually in pre-program still. 
The thing that I believe is most successful and what may help me overcome and become successful is God's love for me first and foremost, hard work and dedication, and literally it's your desire to want to succeed and to be successful. I tried being sober before and it didn't work. I'd been into a program before and seeing how this program was working differently in, different, in the guys' lives versus how other programs had worked. Besides being faith-based, it had structure, it had guidance, it had people who cared, and it showed people what the Lord's gonna do in your life to make things better for you. My relationship with my children before, when I was on the street and when I was drinking super heavy, um, was very damaged. I was more concerned about the bottle. I, I loved them to death, but like my concern was making sure I had a bottle, making sure I had a beer, making sure I had alcohol in my system. Now my relationship with them is phenomenal. They are my priority, they come first. God comes first, they come second, I come third. Um, I co-parent with my ex-wife now. We get along phenomenally. We have a very healthy, caring relationship. Um, we share custody, which I didn't have before. The blessings have come out immensely compared to what I used to have two, three years ago. Life has changed dramatically since I've become sober. This program has been phenomenal for my life, for sure. I'm glad I stuck with it because there's multiple times I could have just bounced. So, no, God has done amazing things in my life since this program. I was Sean's arresting officer many times. I've seen him go from rock bottom to a life he and his family should be proud of. I'm both humbled and honored to have been part of that journey. Well done, Sean. Sean. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your story and allowing us to tell your testimony and for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, it, is, it is genuinely an honor to be able to talk with you, to tell your story, and to know you and get, getting to know you more. Right. Thank you. It's a blessing to be able to be here. Now, Sean is, recently we hired Sean at the mission. He is our food services manager now. I prefer to call him our chef, because that sounds a lot better. I am actually classically trained. Yeah, and I invite everybody who wants to, to come down to the mission and enjoy one of Sean's meals because they are fabulous. They're we actually fabulous. do provide some pretty good meals there. It's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. Now, I wanted to ask you just a few questions. Okay. Um, so in the video, uh, you talk about when you first came to the mission and it sounded like you were kind of a little bit in a cloud, kind of coming out of your addiction. Um, what was going through your mind as that cloud began to lift and there began to, began to be some clarity? When I first came to the mission, um, it took me about, like I said, I took me, I was in the hospital for five and a half days. Um, it took me another nine days to actually become sober. I was still intoxicated when I showed up to the mission five and a half days into it. Um, the, the cloud finally lifted about a month in. I'd had some minor, minor cranial damage from the accident on the airport road. I'd smashed my head in pretty good. Um, when the fog finally started to lift, the program started to work. Um, the clarity started to come in, the classes started to happen, the Lord started to work in my life. Um, things started to make sense. Um, 
the teacher started to, you know, the words started to make sense to me. The teacher started to, to affect my life. Their, their ministry, um, the counselor started to talk to me about like what their, their goals were for me, um, what the program was meant to be in your life and all the students' lives for what they want for you to be successful in the program and what the mission has to offer for all aspects of it. Mm-hmm. And, and you mentioned there were a few times that you wanted to bail. What was going on at that point and, and then how did you keep moving forward? There were two times that I wanted to bail. Um, one in the very beginning when they have a lot of work for you to do, they keep you very, very busy, which is good for sobriety because they keep your mind occupied and they keep you super busy with work. And it's a lot. Um, the second time was when you hit third phase, you're pretty much so done with your work and you're done with your schoolwork and you're like, okay, cool, I'm ready to move forward. I'm ready to like, just go back to the workforce. Those were the two times I was ready to bail because I was ready to move forward and be like, okay, I'm done with program. But, I, but God wasn't ready for me to do that. Um, he had bigger plans for me. He wanted me to finish the program and I wanted to finish the program and I knew I wanted to complete it and in my heart, I knew better and I wanted to be successful and make sure that I had completed the program to have that on my record and I wanted to prove to myself I could do it and I knew that's what the Lord wanted me to do. Mm-hmm. And... and... Tell us a little bit more about how that affected your family and your relationship with your family. My daughters um, and my ex-wife and my mom and dad um, are super proud of me now. Um, My relationships with all three of them were super strained. Um, My ex-wife had a restraining order against me because of my drinking. Like I would show up at her house intoxicated, come visit, and I was always invited over there. But when I show up intoxicated, I'd be like, you're not invited. You need to go home. You need to get out of here. Um, now, I show up at her house, pick up my kids. She's not home. She's like, no, just walk in. Like, why are you knocking? Just show up. Just come in. Like, what are you doing? So it's, it's a blessing to be, have that relationship with her now. We co- like I said, we co-parent super well together. She comes to my house all the time, just walks in. Um, my daughters and I have a loving, super loving, caring relationship now. It's amazing. It's a blessing. Um, my parents love and support me. They are super proud of me for the man I am now, the, you know, the man that God wants me to be. Um, all relationships with my friends and family have been restored, which is one of the biggest blessings I could have asked for because I, I super damaged all of them. I mean, my, my drinking affected everything. So now you were saved, but you were still drinking. Yes. And what happened? What changed, um, in the course of recovery and in your life to get you to this point now? When I accepted the Lord, I remember I was trying to fill a void with drinking and girls and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, when I accepted the Lord that night, I remember that hole and that void being filled. I was like, oh, that's amazing. Like that hole is gone. I don't need to drink anymore. I don't need to party anymore. I don't need to like chase girls or women anymore. I'm not looking for that anymore. But then I still kept amending with alcohol. Like I I had slowed down. I wasn't like drinking as heavy as I was. And then me and my ex-wife, we had continued to drink here and there. And then I started drinking heavy again. And then in recovery, I developed my personal relationship with the Lord, which I never had before. I accepted the Lord. I went to church. I did the motions. And then the program was like, oh, you need to focus on you and your relationship. Not church, not, your, not family, familial relationships. Focus on you and your relationship with God and what your relationship with Jesus is. Pray to him, 
get close to him, find out what he wants from you and what he wants for you. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, I, I can do that. And so I started praying that prayer, and then we started becoming intimate, and we started becoming close. And I started actually listening to what he wanted from me. And I was like, oh, that's what this is about. Okay, cool, now I get it. And, it, and life started to change, and it started becoming so much, so much better. Mm-hmm. And recovery has been the biggest blessing of my life. Um, I have two amazing jobs. I'm, I'm, I'm the chef in another restaurant, but I mean, the, the mission job is a position I would have never expected to have gotten. Um, it's a ministry I would never thought I would be a part of, um, and it's a huge blessing. Yeah, and tell me, so now that you're kind of on the other side and in your position as the chef, you work with a lot of our recovery students, mm-hmm. and you're obviously, you're seeing a lot of our guests too as you're, as you're providing your meals. What is it like to be on the other side, and how do you interact with people? When I was in program, I was also the kitchen lead in there. Um, so I kind of understand the operations of the kitchen, but being the, being the leader and being the chef and of the kitchen now, it's, it's an amazing transition being in a position of leadership and being alongside the guys to lead them now and being able to guide them and to coach them and to teach them and to interact with the guests on a, on a more positive manner. Before it was like, okay, here's your food. Like, you know, go, next, next in line, next in line, next in line. Now it's like, hi, how's your day? Like, what can I do for you? Because we weren't really necessarily allowed to interact minus have a good day as a programmer. Now as the chef and like the kitchen manager, like I'm allowed to interact with the guests and find out how they're doing, go out and talk to them and being able to interact with them. And with a program gentleman, I'm able to like, to minister to them, I'm actually able to coach them, I'm actually able to guide them, I'm actually able to interact with them on a much more personal level and mentor to them, because that's one of the positions of my job is to mentor to them and to share my knowledge culinary-wise to coach them in the kitchen, but also to come alongside them and share what the Lord's doing in my life in sobriety and how it's possible and what's able to be done. So, mm-hmm. And as you were in program and going through... Were there any mentors or um, volunteers that came in that really helped with your faith and kind of your journey? Yes. Uh, I, ha- I personally had uh, my own spiritual advisor through my church at Little Country, uh, Dwelly Crowfoot. He was my spiritual advisor and one of my mentors. Um, and then Eric Sawyer was one of our teachers that was really, really um, inspirational to us. And Dave Donarico, one of our teachers, uh, taught one of our classes that was just phenomenal uplifted all of us in class like every one of us loved him um, one of our best teachers to be honest um, just I don't know how to describe him. he just taught really well and shared his faith in the Lord and just really motivated all the men to like really want to be passionate about getting to know the Lord and have a personal relationship with the Lord so I mean that was probably like two of the teachers that really brought the word to life and really was able to like kind of like teach us how to become more intimate and more closer to the Lord so those are the two of the teachers that really brought it to life for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're always looking for people from our community, especially our church community, that can come and, and do that right. for people um, to, to be mentors, to just walk side by side, or to right. teach a, a Bible study, or, yeah. or just lead a prayer group. And, and all of the gentlemen that come and offer their time are phenomenal, phenomenal guys that come and mentor to us and stuff, but... Those are just two of the two that really stuck out in my mind. Yeah. 
Yeah, great. Um, before we close here, is there anything else that you'd like to share that you've learned? And... The staff at the mission is phenomenal. Everyone has a heart for the Lord first and foremost, and the community is who they serve. It is who the Lord put them there to be a part of. Um, they love them. If they need to be stern, they need to be stern. If they need to be loving, they're, they're absolutely the most loving, compassionate people you're going to see because they wouldn't be there otherwise. Um, it's a community that needs loving, and a lot of people in, the, in our general community doesn't show that much love to them, unfortunately, because they don't understand the stories. Um, it's awesome getting to know a part of it and come alongside the people in the community and find out their story to find out the love that they need. And I think that's so important that, you know, as, as our, the community of Reading, that we can come alongside of them in Shasta County, that we can get to know these people and find out the love that they need. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. And we are, the mission has only so many people who are on staff and only so much time. And as I mentioned before, we see 2,000 people over the course of a year come through the mission. And it's too many for just our staff, our team, to get to know every single person's story and walk with them one-on-one -on -one and help them um, just, you know, go on their journey and to be able to connect with them um, and be someone who can speak life into them, who can show them that they are valuable people, independent of whatever their past is, that they are loved and that they are valued as individuals. So one of the reasons why I'm here today is to ask for people who are interested in getting involved in the mission or getting involved in ministry to the homeless or people who are, who are struggling with drug and alcohol addiction. We desperately need you. And what I have experienced in my own life is that when I put my place, myself into a place of doing what Jesus did and just being present with people and showing them that they're valuable, that actually benefits me so much. Everything I've learned from, I told you about Barefoot Donna, to hearing people's stories and seeing their transformation who been using drugs their entire life. And so they have to learn some of the very basic things, again, of how do you actually have a, a positive relationship with somebody? How do you take care of your household? How do you read your Bible on a consistent basis? All those things are, are so amazing to be a part of. And for myself, it has caused me to grow closer to God and to be more excited every day about what he's doing in people's lives. So at the mission, um, due to COVID, we lost a lot of our volunteers um, for many different reasons. We sent a lot of people home um, as part of it. So we are really looking at trying to get more people to come back to the mission to help us build up that community again. So Shauna was talking about the, the mentors and, and the Bible study teachers and we need people who have a heart to just walk alongside others who are struggling. And we're trying to build that back up. And that can look like, you know, becoming a mentor, 
for somebody. It can look like just coming down and serving lunch once a week. But in that process of serving lunch, it's recognizing people. It's starting to get to know people. And it's maybe taking a chance and sitting down with them after lunch and hearing what their story is. And maybe seeing how you can connect with that person. If you have a gift for teaching Bible studies or teaching the Word of God, we need people to come down and teach Bible studies or just lead one-on-one personal Bible studies. I know there can be some anxiety with coming down to the mission, and that's okay. Um, And we are here. Sean's in the kitchen. Um, I'm in the office and our other staff, and we're here to help make that easier for you. If you want to make a step and come and serve at the mission in some way, we will help and we'll get you over some of those initial obstacles that might be preventing you from actually coming down and doing it. Um, I know Pastor Sean and I and Erica, I don't know Erica's last name, is Erica here? Okay, Um, I know that she was looking at possibly doing some uh, mission trips to the Good News Rescue Mission. So I would encourage you to connect with her and talk to her and Pastor Sean and see what what, um, the church wants to put together. Or if you'd like to, just connect with me. My business cards are on the table out there. um, Or just call the Good News Rescue Mission and ask for Justin. And I would be more than happy to sit down with you Talk one-on-one and see how you can get involved personally and what that looks like. Um, I think that's it. Thank you so much for... All right, worship team, why don't you do come up and we'll sing a song after I pray. I forgot my Bible. Do that a lot recently. Yes. Such a great pastor. Um, also, you got uh, the booklet, Good News Rescue Mission Booklet. So, uh, you know, there's always several ways for us to engage. One, uh, like Justin is saying, we can go down and volunteer our time. That's really important. We, they need that, right? There's lots to be done. But there's also, uh, we can be praying for them. And then also financially, if you'd like to give, there's always a need for funds as well. So in that booklet on the back page, I believe there's uh, a way for you to give financially as well to the Good News Rescue Mission. So if you'd like to do that, that's there for you. And I just encourage you to pray about what the Lord has for you and uh, how to engage, whether it be one of those three or all of those three or whatever it is. So um, let me, let's go ahead and stand and uh, I will pray. And then I will share a passage, and then we'll do a song. If you need to leave and go get your kids, you can do that. If you want to sing in one more song before you head out, you can do that. Whatever, however the Lord leads. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this uh, morning. We, again, just thank you for uh, your goodness and the opportunity to hear, uh, again, more of your heart, uh, how you are Uh, how you love those who are lost, how you love those who are in need, those who are poor, those who are homeless, those who are drug addicted. Lord, you love them deeply and you desire to have intimate love relationship with everyone. 
And so I pray that you would help, as Justin said early on, that you would help to change our perspective, first of all, that when we see a homeless person, we wouldn't just see uh, someone who's made a whole bunch of bad choices, but we would be able to see the love that you have for this individual first, and that you desire that they have been created to be in this intimate love relationship with you, and so that we could see them that way first, and then again, as that compassion builds in our heart, that we would be able to respond out of that compassion in ways that are appropriate, that will, uh, maybe it's just a word, maybe it is buying a meal, maybe it is listening to a story. Story. Maybe it is uh, calling the call uh, 911, whatever it may be, Lord, that we would have wisdom in that moment. Uh, Lord, give us courage. Uh, those that you've spoke to this morning uh, to step out and to actually make that phone call or have this conversation with this morning with Justin about going down and helping out. Uh, give us the courage to take that step to have that conversation. Uh, give us uh, the ability to step out of that comfort zone that we're in and trust that you'll give us what we need to be able to follow through with that, that call. Uh, you are a mighty and awesome God. You love us. You prepare us. You provide for us. You give us what you, we need so that we can share that with others. Just like it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and following, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. If you want to stick around and sing a song, go for it. If you need to go pick up a kid or get out of here, go for it. If you need to talk to Justin, get up here and talk to him. Amen. <laughs>